Hello, this is Isabel Cortez, and welcome to Scary Stories for the Soul. Have you given much thought as to how you want to be laid to rest? Do you want to be buried, cremated, given a Viking-style funeral with flaming arrows and singing women? Most people don't think about these things until they reach a comfortable and old age, and even when they do think about it, they don't ponder much on the options, because for a lot of people, there are only two, cremation or burial. But what if you had other options? What if you could be buried out at sea, or maybe eaten by sharks, or crushed and pressed and turned into a diamond, or maybe even shot off into the cold recesses of space? Would you do it? Burial practices differ all over the world. In the mountains of Sagada in the Philippines, people hang the coffins of dead loved ones along mountainsides because they believe that the closer a coffin is to the sky, the closer the deceased is to heaven. The Philippines is also home to Tinguyan funerals, where people dress the dead in their finest clothes, sit them in a chair, and give them cigars. There, the dead sit and smoke for several weeks so that people can visit them one last time. During the 19th century, in the Republic of Kiribati in the Central Pacific, when a family member dies, their body is kept at home for anything from three days to two weeks. Family members are tasked with keeping the body fresh by burning fragrant leaves, putting flowers in the mouth, ears, and nose, and rubbing the body with scented oils. Loved ones are able to enter the home, visit the body, and speak to the deceased. People can also leave offerings of money, food, and gifts. Once everyone has said their goodbyes, the body is buried in a nearby cemetery. However, several months after the burial, family members return to the plot and exhume the skull. It is polished and put on display in the family home, and they build somewhat of an altar around it, leaving offerings of food and tobacco as signs of love and respect. In Victorian England, death photography was very commonplace. Families pose next to dead mothers, fathers, and babies as a way to have one last happy family photo. Deceased infants are pictured sleeping in their mother's arms, and fathers are pictured sitting in their favorite chairs, a pipe in their mouths, surrounded by all their children. Victorian life was fraught with death. Diseases like cholera, diphtheria, and typhus ravaged whole communities, killing off entire family units. During this time, when death was around every corner, families did anything they could to hold on to the memory of loved ones past. These photographs, although morbid in the lens of today, were seen as beautiful and necessary. On some occasions, eyes would be painted on the photographs after they were developed, in the hopes of making the deceased more lifelike. Trinkets known as memento mori, which translates to remember you must die, were also commonplace. People would cut locks of hair from the deceased and keep them in lockets. Death masks were created by coating the faces in wax, and paintings and sculptures were made oftentimes with small amounts of blood mixed into the paint or clay. To some, funerals are bleak and somber affairs. People are there to mourn the loss of a life that meant so much to them and so there isn't much laughter or joy to be had. But cultural anthropologist Kelly Swayze, who produces a TED talk called Life That Doesn't End With Death, has spent much of her time researching different funerary practices from around the world, and notes that that isn't so for many places around the world. In Tana Toraja in Eastern Indonesia, funerals are loud and exciting affairs, which involve the entire village of the deceased. 
They can last weeks, and families save up to be able to have lavish funerals, which they feel their loved ones deserve. The bodies are laid to rest in special rooms in the family home, where they are symbolically fed and cared for by relatives. Until the moment that a sacrificial water buffalo carries the deceased's soul to the afterlife, the deceased is not considered dead. They are referred to as sick or sleeping. This moment could be days, months, or even years after the physical death has taken place. Up until that moment, the body of the deceased is kept at home where they remain an active member of the family. And nothing says joy and love like a New Orleans jazz funeral. In New Orleans, Louisiana, the dead are accompanied to their final resting place by a boisterous jazz-filled funeral procession. Swayze writes, Fusing West Africa, French, and African-American traditions, funerals in New Orleans strike a unique balance between joy and grief as mourners are led by a marching band. The band plays sorrowful dirges at first, but once the body is buried, they shift to an upbeat note. Cathartic dancing is generally a part of the event to commemorate the life of the deceased. In the West Africa country of Ghana, people aspire to be buried in ostentatious and fanciful coffins that represent the kind of person that they were in life. Fantasy coffins are constructed in the image of something that the deceased loved, was passionate about, or loved to do. Fantasy coffins can look like anything from cars to planes or giant shoes. The point of them is to make the deceased happy one last time, to bury them in something that they will enjoy being in for the rest of time. To some, these practices may seem odd or morbid, but it's all about respecting the dead and making them feel important and loved one last time. Many of these burial practices are also coded with superstition. If the burial or funeral isn't done correctly, then the dead could feel disrespected and come back to haunt the living. Or, their souls could remain in a permanent state of unrest as they straddle the plane between life and death. Who would want their deceased mother or sister to be forever roaming the world of the living, unable to rest, unable to sleep, unable to reach their final resting place, wherever that may be? There are other death practices that people still follow today to ensure that a person's soul reaches that place beyond our mortal world. Many cemeteries are laid out in an east-to-west grid with the headstones on the west and the feet pointing to the east. This derives from the belief that the dead should be able to see their new world rising, the world of the dead, in the east, much like how the sun rises in the east. One of the most popular practices includes covering all mirrors in the area when a person dies. It is believed that an exposed mirror will trap the soul of the dead, or even reflect the soul back, blocking them from passing out of the home and into the afterlife. It is also traditional for clocks to be stopped at the time of a death to not only mark the time of passing, but to also show the spirit of the deceased that they are dead. If a spirit is roaming a home, confused and hurt and not knowing where to go, the sign of a stopped clock will show them that they are no longer living and it is time for them to move on. Once the deceased has been buried, clocks and watches are able to be restarted. But if the head of the house dies, the clocks are never to be started again. There are also folktales that say that a clock unexpectedly stopping in a home is a death omen for a member of the family. A rather unknown superstition states that one must hold their breath while passing a graveyard or cemetery to prevent drawing in a restless spirit that's trying to re-enter the physical world. Likewise, pregnant women should never attend funerals for fear that a lingering spirit will try to inhabit the body of their unborn child. 
What happens when your burial wishes aren't met? What happens when you tell your family that you want to be cremated and mixed together with soil so that you can turn into a tree and they bury you in the cold ground? Disobeying the dead could come with deadly consequences. Lemurias are vengeful and wandering spirits in Greek mythology. They are the spirits of those who were not offered a proper burial, funeral rites, or affectionate cult by the living. They are considered demonis, deities thought to represent souls of deceased loved ones who have turned into vagrant, unsatiated, and vengeful wraiths who haunt the living and make life a living hell for them. The Lemurias feel disrespected and cheated because they were not buried correctly and some believe that they will go as far as stealing other souls as a form of retribution. In Mesopotamian culture, a spiritual deity exists known as the Gadim, a spirit which maintains the personal identity of the deceased and travels from the land of the dead to the world of the living. The Gadim haunts the living if proper attention is not paid to funeral rites and burials. The Gadim will torture the living, often becoming violent, and the only way to expel the spirit is through exorcism rituals, prayers, and amulets that must be worn at all times for fear that the demon will return. It is not uncustomary for cadavers to be exhumed and reburied in accordance to proper funerary rites in order to appease vengeful and violent spirits. Other options include salting and burning the bones of the deceased, although it just seems easier to listen to the dead and bury them the way that they wanted to be. Think about it. Would you rather be haunted and potentially hurt for the rest of your life? Or just sprinkle Aunt Gertrude from the top of the Eiffel Tower like she wanted to? I mean, doesn't seem that hard of a choice. The story you're about to hear is that of a man who never thought much about death or funerals. That is until he encountered the spirit of a relative who was hell-bent on being laid to rest the right way. Alexander Harrington had never been to a wake. He had never met anyone who had died, and didn't, he didn't quite know how to feel about it. He hadn't been very close to his Uncle Henry. They had only ever interacted during family reunions and the occasional birthday party. They were both introverted men. They both enjoyed mystery novels, Greek food, and Keanu Reeves movies. The longest conversation they had had was about jazz music and the trip that Alexander had taken to New Orleans for his 25th birthday. But that was years ago, and now Uncle Henry was dead, and Alexander found himself in a room full of people he didn't really know, eating food he didn't like, with the body of his dead uncle mere feet away. At 8 p.m. sharp, the family gathered at the law offices of Daniel Darling, attorney at law. Uncle Henry's immediate family all filled into the posh and spacious office, although there weren't that many of them. In total, it was Alexander, his mother, his Aunt Melinda, and his grandmother, Henry's mother. Alexander was uncomfortable. He didn't know how he felt accepting things from a dead person, but he figured that if his Uncle Henry wanted to give him something, he better be respectful and take it. Mr. Darling read the will and very nonchalantly announced to the room that Alexander was the sole beneficiary of Henry's estate. He looked around the room, practically choked on his water, and waited. This had to be a mistake. There was no way. But no one was gasping or yelling or storming out of the room. No one argued with him or cursed at him. They all just looked and smiled. 
as Aunt Melinda, Henry's sister, put her hand on his shoulder and said, Henry always liked you. He used to say that you reminded him of himself, and he was proud of you for getting out there and seeing the world. Alexander smiled and suddenly found himself missing his uncle and wishing that he had spent more time with him. And now for the funeral arrangements, Mr. Darling said. Funeral arrangements? His grandmother asked. Yes, ma'am. Henry left very specific instructions on how he would like to be laid to rest. But the funeral has already been taken care of, his grandmother said, confused. He's going to be buried tomorrow at the family church. No, ma'am, Mr. Darling said, shaking his head. Henry left specific instructions to have his body cremated and sprinkled into the Pacific Ocean. It was his favorite surfing spot, his mother said. Alexander smiled. He remembered the day Henry taught him how to surf. It was also the day he almost drowned, but Henry saved his life and they made a promise never to tell his mom or else she would never let him surf again. We're Catholics, and Henry is going to have a Catholic burial, his grandmother said firmly. Henry wasn't Catholic, Mom, his aunt said. He hadn't even been to church in years. He was studying Buddhism the last time I spoke to him. We are Catholic, and he is going to be buried in a Catholic cemetery with a Catholic service, she shouted. No offense, ma'am, said the lawyer, but this isn't your choice. Henry left instructions and left Alexander money to make sure that his wishes were met. Alexander looked at his grandmother, but she wouldn't meet his gaze. He was my son. I should be allowed to decide. Grandma, Alexander said gently, it's not what he wanted. She remained quiet for a moment and then stood up and walked out of the room. Alexander felt his mother's hand on his shoulder. When can we cremate him, she said. In three days, Mr. Darling replied. His body will be taken from here tonight and prepared for cremation. At 9 a.m. the next morning, Alexander got a call from his mother. Before he got a chance to say hello, she yelled into the phone. She buried him! She took his body and buried him! Alexander's heart dropped. What are you talking about? he asked. Your grandmother. She lied to the funeral director and buried him this morning. I wasn't even there. Nobody was there. They just buried him in the cemetery without telling anyone. What do we do? he asked his mother. What can we do? she replied. He could hear her tearing up on the other end of the phone. When he hung up, he plucked up the courage to text his grandmother. Why did you do that? He texted her. It was the right thing, she replied. Right for who? He responded. She didn't answer for some time, but then he got a message that said, What are you going to do? Dig him up? Alexander threw his phone. Through his Aunt Melinda, he learned that his grandmother had held a full Catholic burial for his Uncle Henry. She even had his body blessed by a priest and buried with a crucifix. He was appalled, but his grandmother had been right. What was he going to do? Dig him up? He didn't want to disrespect his uncle more by digging up his body in full view of the world. That night, he had a horrible nightmare. He dreamt that his uncle Henry was lying awake in his coffin, banging against the polished wood, screaming to be let out. Days after the forced burial, Alexander moved into his uncle's home. He moved around the space and tried to ignore the feeling that something was off. There was no way to explain exactly what he was feeling. The air just felt heavy. He had also noticed that the clocks around his uncle's home had stopped at 4.30. Who had done that? 4.30 p.m. had been the exact time that Henry had died. He didn't want to think too much about it for fear of freaking himself out. 
so he went around and reset the clocks and continued to move in his things. The first night in his new home was a strange one. He had the kind of dream that felt so real it was hard to wake up from. Alexander dreamt that he was laying in bed and listening to the sound of deep and raspy breathing. He couldn't quite make out where it was coming from, so he decided to get up and search the home. The air around him was cold, cold enough to where he could see his own breath. His bare feet stung against the freezing hardwood floors as he made his way into the living room. There, he saw a shadowy figure facing a clock against one of the living room walls. Alexander rubbed his eyes to clear his vision, but he knew who he was looking at. It was his Uncle Henry, moving the hands of the clock to 4.30. He listened to his uncle's labored breathing and felt a mixture of sadness and fear. Uncle Henry? Alexander asked. Henry turned to look at him, and Alexander noticed that he was still wearing his suit from the wake. His skin was ashen and clinging to his high cheekbones. His light brown hair was disheveled, and clumps of wet soil clung to it. It's dark, Henry said through labored breaths. It's the middle of the night, Alexander replied. It's always dark, Henry wheezed. And it's cold. I'm all alone. Where am I? Alexander looked around. Your home, Uncle Henry. Don't you recognize your home? Henry took several steps towards Alexander until they were almost face to face. I'm not supposed to be here, Henry whispered. Where am I? Something clicked in Alexander's mind. They buried you, Uncle Henry. I couldn't stop them. You're in a cemetery. Alexander watched Henry's face drop open. He opened his mouth and a loud moan escaped his throat. Worms and ants and beetles fell out of his mouth and crawled down his dirty suit. I'm sorry, Alexander cried out, but then he woke up in his new bed, in his new home, drenched in sweat. He didn't want to tell his mother about his nightmare. She was already having a hard time with the death of her brother and not being able to be at his burial. He didn't want to add to the trauma she was already feeling. There was nothing to do except try and erase the nightmare from his mind. When Alexander got home from work the next day, he noticed that all the clocks were stopped at 4.30 again. He knew that it was probably a dramatic move, but he took all the clocks off the walls and threw them in the trash, mentally making a note to replace them with digital versions. Throughout the day, he noticed strange things occurring around him. He would catch glimpses of shadows and mirrors, footsteps echoed behind him as he walked down the hallway, and when he turned off the lights at the end of the night and got ready for bed, he heard labored breathing coming from the living room. Once in bed, Alexander looked around his bedroom and tried to calm himself down. His mind was playing tricks on him. He was hyper and upset and still creeped out by the dream he had last night. Tonight would be different, he said to himself. No bad dreams tonight. And Alexander was right. He fell asleep quickly and slept a dreamless sleep. At 4.30 in the morning, however, he woke up. He didn't know what had awoken him. It was one of those feelings of silent dread that hits you out of nowhere and tilts you off balance for the rest of the day. He reached over to turn on his bedside lamp and found that the bulb was dead. He tried the flashlight on his phone, but found that his phone was dead too. There was a chill in the air that made his hair stand on end, and for some reason, a thought entered his brain. 
there is someone in the living room. He got out of bed, hell-bent on not letting his fear get the best of him. When he got to the living room, he was almost surprised to see no one there. He went down the hallway and checked inside both spare bedrooms, the bathroom, and even the linen closet, but again, nothing there. As he made his way back into the bedroom, he heard a noise behind him. It sounded like breathing, ragged, difficult breathing. He turned around slowly and saw someone sitting on the couch that had just been empty. He immediately recognized the person from his dream. It was his Uncle Henry. But he wasn't sleeping now. No, he was wide awake. And this was actually happening. Uncle Henry? Alexander asked, voice trembling. It's dark, his uncle whispered. I don't know where I am. You're dead, Uncle Henry, Alexander said. Your body is in a cemetery. I'm so afraid, his uncle said. It's dark. I can't rest. I can't sleep. I don't want to be here. I'm afraid. I know, Alexander said. I'm sorry. This isn't what I wanted. This isn't what you wanted, but I can't do anything about it. Fix it, his uncle said. I don't know how, he replied. Fix it! His uncle shouted. He stood up and Alexander took a step back. He looked just like he had in his dream. He was still wearing his suit from the wake. His skin was sallow and thinning and graying in patches around his face. Things were crawling on his scalp and dirt clung to his hair. He pinned Alexander against the wall and said to him, Fix it! Fix it! Fix it! I'm scared! It's dark! Help me! Alexander screamed and shook himself free from his uncle's clutches, but when he looked up, Henry was gone. Without giving it another thought, Alexander jumped into his car and drove to the cemetery where his uncle had been forcibly buried. The wet soil stuck to his bare feet. His toes were going numb, but he kept walking until he found the headstone he was looking for. It was smooth granite with small flowers engraved into the stone. It read, Henry Townsmith. Born October 19, 1976. Departed November 12, 2021. Son of God. Alexander rolled his eyes. He didn't have a shovel, but he knew that he needed to get started, so he got on his hands and knees and started to shovel the dirt out of the grave with his hands. His fingers started to go numb, and small rocks cut into his palms and got underneath his fingernails. He could feel worms and other crawling creatures make their way up his arms, but he didn't stop. He couldn't stop. His uncle's words rang in his head. I can't rest. It took him hours to finally make his way to the polished oak casket that contained his uncle, but when he felt the smooth wood, he practically shouted with joy. He opened the casket and took one last look at his uncle. Fishing through his pockets, he produced a small pack of matches he had grabbed from his car and a leather-bound flask. His mother had filled it with his uncle's favorite whiskey, and they had each taken a sip before the funeral days before. It had been left forgotten in his car, until now. The numbness in his hands made his hands go hard, and they were hard to move, but Alexander managed to take the cap off the flask and pour its contents onto the body. He shakily lit a match, dropped it down, and watched his uncle's body catch fire. (sighs) Goodbye, he said as he watched the flames. The fire needed tending throughout the night. 
Eventually, he had to go into the church and find something to keep it burning. There was some oil set on an altar. He stole it and tried not to feel too guilty about it. When most of the body had burned, he took the dish that used to contain the oil and filled it with ashes. What couldn't fit in the dish, he took handfuls of and stuffed it in his pockets. Then he closed the casket, shoveled the dirt back on top with his hands, and made his way to the Pacific Ocean. It was a hard and tiring drive, having been awake for almost 36 hours, but when Alexander saw the coast, saw the sun rising up from the waves, he began to cry. He cried for himself, and he cried for his Uncle Henry. He parked his car on the beach, waded out into the water, and sprinkled his uncle's ashes in. Then he passed out from exhaustion. Henry never saw his uncle again, but the same could not be said for his grandmother. According to his mother, she was being tormented by Henry's spirit, and had been ever since the burial. Alexander would have assumed that once he gave his uncle the burial he wanted, his spirit would have been laid to rest, but the haunting of his grandmother seemed more personal. Henry was upset, mad even, and he was going to take it out on the person who had tried to condemn him to that damned box for all of eternity. Alexander couldn't feel too bad about it. He was just happy it wasn't him. So how do you want to be buried? Is it going to be a traditional burial, or do you want something unique? It's important that we honor our dead. We honor them by remembering them, of course, but also we have to honor them by adhering to their wishes, no matter what we might think of them. The last thing you want is to be haunted by the spirit of angry loved ones for the rest of your life. Right? Until next time.